Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. And uh, it's the Friday after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. Um, so I hope you guys, I don't know with COVID and all that, if, if people are piling into stores or not. I know, you know, on this end, we've been kind of looking for some PlayStation 5s. Uh, not for me. I don't, I don't really do the whole PlayStation thing since they quit doing NCAA football. I, uh, I don't think I picked up a, a PlayStation pad a little while, but for some other folks in my life, and that's frustrating. Uh, I said this on JB and Goldwater the other day. I'll say it again. I, you are a loser if you're buying PlayStation 5s and reselling them at three times the cost because you're ruining Christmas. And uh, I just wish you a terrible, terrible holiday season if you're one of these people out there doing that. But I don't think any of my listeners are doing that. I think in general, Gamecock fans and whatever fans happen to listen to this podcast are, are pretty good folks and, and, and kind of understand that, you know, yeah, yay capitalism and, and you know, if you can make money, all that good stuff. I don't ever hate on people for making a dime, but, you know, some people have to use their brain. This, this, this is like the people during the pandemic that, like, went all around, like, in a tri-state area and bought every bottle of hand sanitizer and put it on eBay for 20 bucks. That's, you know, come on. You're ruining Christmas for a lot of kids out there because we're not paying 1500 for a PlayStation 5. We'll just wait till February to get it. But anyway, hope all you guys are doing well out there. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family. Um, usually I'm nursing a little bit of a hangover today because that, that's usually a day that I'll kick back and have a few uh, ice cold ones, but uh, watch a little ball and eat a little turkey. But with this coaching search, man, I, I had to kind of uh, steer clear of that and stay on the phone uh, and connected and, you know, watch the site. And, but it did enjoy a good meal with family and friends, and uh, certainly was a wonderful day yesterday for me. Carolina plays Georgia tomorrow night. That's probably, you know, the toughest thing to wrap your head around. This is usually a, a game that, you know, everybody gets excited about, and I think there is some excitement uh, to go in and see, you know, possibly Luke Doty at quarterback uh, take his shot against a really good defense, at least personnel-wise. Uh, they hadn't; they don't always play that way at Georgia, but uh, – you know, talent-wise, they're one of the best in the country. Uh, coming into williams Price, looking for revenge after last year's loss. Um, so I'm sure they'll take the game pretty serious. Uh, but Luke Doty gets a chance, um, and that's assuming he starts. But I've, I've, in my gut, I would be surprised to see Hill trot out there first. Um, you know, and, and we'll see what he does. And I think that's always exciting. 7.30 kickoff time tomorrow night from williams Bryce Stadium, SEC Network. Hot spot this week. Uh, I am going with Doty on offense. He's in the hot spot because he, uh, he he played pretty well in his debut last week. Uh, he's got to play even better, I think, for, for Carolina's uh, to have a shot to win. And, and that includes, you know, making the right decisions on the run. You know, a lot of times guys that have legs, you know, they'll bail on the pass early. Um, you know, I don't think you want to take too much time, but uh, given George's pass rushers, but, uh, you know, hitting the guys that are open, taking the chances downfield, scrambling, making plays. Uh, this is kind of Luke Doty's game 
I think. Now, if, if you want to, if you say, well, if he makes his first start, is it fair to put him in the hot spot? Well, you have a valid point. So if I didn't go with Luke Doty, I would, I would probably go with Kevin Harris just because, you know, Kevin was solid against Missouri. Missouri stacked the box to stop the run. That's their defense. It's hard to run the football against that defense. You have to throw it. Um, and, and so, you know, Kevin did, wasn't, didn't have the big old numbers like he did, you know, and he's got to get to 1,000. And, you know, I, I think Georgia, while they're not as traditional and they're going to do some things to make it hard on you to run the football, you know, there may be some more opportunities for, for Harris to get loose and make some things happen. Um, defensively, uh, I'm going to go with uh, our friend Cam Smith. You know, I, I thought, you know, you watch the first half and they sort of picked on Smith. You're like, well, here we go. You know, and I, I think sometimes fans and, and, and us too that are in the analyst uh, business, you know, we sit there and look at a guy that's a four or five star guy and we expect him all to be like Stephon Gilmore who started, you know, his first game as a true freshman, he starts at NC State and breaks up a Russell Wilson pass to save the football game up in Raleigh uh, against NC State. And, you know, so you look at it like that and you're like, well, you know, uh, that guy, that's how every four and five star corner should be. And that's just not the case. You know, there some, some guys are talented and they can reach that high ceiling they have. And, and, you know, the recruiting rankings are based on ceiling, you know, that that's why one class isn't going to save you right away. You know, it's not going to save the day. It'll save the day and time, you know, if those players hit. So, so Cam Smith's a red shirt freshman, uh, he'll be a redshirt freshman again next year because everybody gets another redshirt, which is weird. But uh, I've really seen him since the Tennessee game, which was a tough debut, you know, play better and better and better. And he has some hiccups, uh, but he responded. And, and that's that's what you want to see out of a young player. Uh, I think Georgia with JT Daniels, you know, and those receivers looking at what they did against Mississippi State, they're going to try to, you know, throw it probably more um you know they didn't really even run it all that well against state of course state uh that uh, that defense they run at mississippi state kind of sells out to stop the run uh whatever so you know we'll see kind of what happens uh i i think sometimes things are not as good as they seem or bad as they seem uh watched a lot of jt daniels at southern cal always thought he was a talented player uh he came in early sort of like jake bentley did um and, and had his struggles, but also played well. I think, you know, talents to do is coming off an injury. I don't know that, you know, based on what he did against Mississippi State, that we're going to sit there and then, okay, so that's Georgia solved that issue, so away we go. We'll see how he plays against Carolina. You know, truth be told, statistically, Mississippi State has a better defense. Uh, I think if I were ranking the defenses overall, uh, Mississippi State would probably rank ahead of Carolina's. Uh, but I also think that Carolina has some things going for it um, defensively that could give him s- some more trouble uh, maybe than we think. You know, Carolina's got to tackle on the perimeter well. You can't let Zamir White and their running backs get loose. Uh, they like to throw it to their backs. You know, Todd Monken's done a, good, a pretty good job. Yeah, I wonder if Todd Monken's going to, you know, have a little extra juice this week maybe because his cousin Jeff, um, you know, May not get – probably won't get the South Carolina job. I don't know. That'll be interesting. But, um, you know, it should be a good night for football. It's Georgia-South Carolina. If you're one of the hardy few that 
you know, has a chance to go to the game, you know, go and enjoy it. You, you only get, you know, every other year in life to see Carolina play the dogs in Williams Bryce. So, you know, just go enjoy it. Uh, it it'll, you know, this too shall pass in terms of the outcome of the game, but it, it's an important game. And I hope, uh, you know, the, 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 as beat up and injured and without players as Carolina is, you know, uh, stranger things have happened. It's 2020. Uh, so anything can happen. Going to go ahead and give you a score, score, score prediction though. And it's not going to be probably, you know, all that positive, but, you know, I, I think Carolina, you know, probably can give them a battle and probably will run out of gas, assuming Georgia wakes up at some point. So I'm going to say 30 to 13 Bulldogs uh, tomorrow night. I think that that's, uh, that's the outcome that we're kind of looking at right there. And, you know, and it could be like a, yeah, maybe a 16 to 10 or something like that at half. And then Georgia pulls away, you know, something like that. So we'll see how that goes tomorrow night. Again, 7.30 PM kickoff. I'm picking dogs, 30 Gamecocks, 13. Not that I don't have any faith. I'm looking forward to seeing Luke Doty play um, and see kind of how all that goes. Uh, but, you know, the Gamecocks as a team right now, they're up against it big time, big time up against it. You know, I, I don't even know who's going to start at the other defensive end. I think I mentioned Joe Anderson earlier this week, but we'll see kind of how all that goes. Coaching search-wise, um, just a few things here and there. Uh, you know, I know that um, – there's some talk about Shane Beamer interviewing today. Uh, again, I'm, I'm going to warn people about timelines of specific interviews and dates, who's interviewed, who's not. First of all, I think it's pretty much irrelevant who's interviewed and who's not. Uh, because, number one, you can define an interview multiple ways. Uh, because coaching searches, by and large, are about plausible deniability. Uh, and I learned that word in 1990 or that phrase in 1995 It's two words, actually that term, it's a term, I guess is what you call it by watching independence day, that movie, two words, sir, plausible deniability. You know, when they go down and they find area 51 and the bunker and all that. Um, so, you know, plausible deniability, that, that, that means, you know, you can, you can deny something and it's, it's reasonable because it actually isn't happening. But although it did, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, in other words, Jamie Chadwell, you know, talking to some sources uh, around coastal and, and talking to some sources close to South Carolina that, if, you know, are friends with people at coastal or whatever. And then and, and kind of on that end, no, you know, according to them, no contact. And and when the the Chadwell interview allegedly took place, you know, they were watching film. So <laughs> there, there you go. I mean, you know, now now, do I think that Jamie Chadwell has heard nothing about this job from anybody? No, I don't believe that either. You know, but as far as a formal sit down interview, I also don't believe that you know with Shane Beamer, that you know all of a sudden. You know, there's been all this talk about him or whatever behind the scenes and all that, that that nobody at South Carolina has talked to him until some alleged formal interview that may or may not have already taken place. I can tell you for a fact that's not true. So, you know, you got to watch these interview timelines and stuff like that. Now, I'm not saying they're not correct. I'm just saying I'm not reporting anything like that because 
people, I don't want to say lie again, it's plausible deniability. They don't want a reporter, you know, getting tipped off because, because you start giving people the exact time of, uh, of, of interviews and stuff and you have flight trackers and you have all kinds of stuff. Somebody that, you know, if you really want to dig, if you, if you have a time and a place or a time and a candidate uh, and you're resourceful enough, you can get the location and then you show up to the interview and try to get a comment. I, I don't know what good it does to do that, but that, that's what they try to ward against is people showing up uh, at the interview spot. Cause these, these things have to be quiet, you know, you, you, and, and it, it should be a courtesy for any job interview. So that's, that's why I don't track it because you know, you, you've got a 50, 50 chance of being right or wrong. And I, and for you guys, I don't know that it's relevant to know, you know, the day of, of the, the interview, because it's not like a recruiting thing where, okay, so, you know, the head coach has his in-home visit. Well, he's going to go visit at the school, visit there. I mean, that's important stuff. Okay. In-home visit on Friday, going to go watch you play basketball later, you know, cause then it's like, okay, so what did they say? How did it go? That kind of thing. That's important to info in my opinion. Uh, when you're talking about recruiting, but when you're talking about a coaching search, you know, there's going to be no, how did it go? You know, nobody's going to talk about it. I, I mean, I, and, and nor should they if they're professional, you know, after the fact, after somebody's hired, maybe we're like, yeah, this interview was a real stinker. Um, I've hired a lot of people uh, during my career uh, for 24 seven sports rivals. I uh, helped with some at ESPN.com when I was there, 24 seven was the bulk of it. Uh, and, and I'll tell you a story. Like, I'm not going to name names because, you know, he's a good friend of mine and he still works for 24-7 and does an outstanding job. But we were recruiting somebody from the other network and, uh, you know, got to get him, got to get him, got to get him. And and we got to the point where, you know, I thought, you know, we, we had him. And so it was time to bring him in for the interview. See, interviews sometimes are, are, mere, are mere formality as well. So – now, I don't think that's the case in, in this situation. So, you know, we go in and uh, and my boss was there uh, and we sat down. Shannon Terry was there and we go. and It was literally the worst interview uh, I think I've ever been a part of on either side. And, and really in my professional career, I've only had one bad interview. And, and that was for a job that wasn't even in sports. Uh, before I got into the internet or anything like that. And I thank God every day I didn't get that job because of the people that were running the newspaper. Oh yeah. I was in the newspaper business at the time. We're really sad, petty people uh, to a certain extent. Um, a lot of female folks who I think were sexist against guys, um, which uh, is, you know, you don't find that often. It's like, wow. You know, usually you walk into some place and it, you know, it may be the other way around. Um, so, ah, you know, just wasn't feeling it. But that's the only on like when I was being interviewed, the only one on my end where I was like, I didn't think it's going well. Now, doing the interview, this was the absolute worst. And we walked out of that thinking we had no shot. You know, well, we're not going to get the guy. That was awful, whatever. So he, you know, left Nashville, and we were sitting there kind of scratching our head. Next thing you know, he calls me up and takes the job. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, you know. So interviews sometimes can go uh, either ways. That's a nice little personal aside, but, you know, we'll see, you know, you hear Neil Brown from West Virginia's name pop up. 
I still haven't gotten, you know, and I put my odds up on the bigspur.com. It's for VIP members only on Wednesday night. Um, I'll go ahead and give them to you guys because that's, you know, the odds that that I had then are obviously going to be different now as they change. But for Wednesday, I wanted to give my members. See, if you join, if you join, you know, you get this stuff earlier. So, and, and it's it's Black Friday through Cyber Monday, 75% off of Michigan, uh, Michigan a membership uh, at uh, thebigspur.com right now if you'd like to get it. But um, I'll pass those odds on to you uh, at present. Shane Beamer, Oklahoma assistant head coach, three to one odds. Billy Napier, Louisiana head coach, seven to two. Uh, and that's like 3.5 to one. So half of odds point up. Hugh Freeze, Liberty head coach, 20 to one. Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina head coach, 100 to one. And the field, which Neil Brown would have been a part of, 999 to one. Now, that was Wednesday night. I, I may have Neil Brown on there now as a 500 to one long shot. And uh, in, in with Brown specifically, you know, his name's been in the mix, whatever, uh, quieter than Satterfield. It's just hard to get a sitting power five head coach to leave his spot. But, um, you know, we'll see. Cause you know, his name's kind of been in the mix behind the scenes for a long time. Uh, so we'll see if he rises or falls but those were definitely the uh, – that was definitely the, the odds Wednesday night. So we'll see kind of what happens there uh, as we move forward with the coaching search. But um, one thing I will say, um, I will say that, uh, you know, that uh, there's no doubt that the, the, the search is ongoing today. This is not an off day for Ray Tanner uh, and everybody. Um, you know, so so those reports out there about Tanner, you know, hitting the road, doing whatever, I think that's uh, that's pretty obvious and um, really something that, that, you know, is happening. All right. So we've got the um, got the you know, what do we have here? We got the mailbag. We got to do the mailbag. And obviously the mailbag's awesome. So here we go. Um I hope Ray Finkel is listening. The, the not Ray Finkel from the actual character, but Raymond Finkel, the Twitter handler, because you know you were really wrong the other day about the puff pieces and all that. Whoa! There's no mailbag questions. There are no mailbag questions. Wow! Goodness gracious! All right, so we have no mailbag questions. So. I think what we're going to do is uh, talk about this one thing that I wrote about today on the Big Spur. Assistant coaching hires in college football are everything. And I've got the article up. It's a free article. You don't have to be a member to read it. Uh, But I go through and I give some examples. Okay. So, So you think about college football these days, right? And there's great head coaches. And all the focus in this search has been on the head coach, and rightfully so. I mean, that's your leader of your program. That's the straw that stirs the drink. You know, nothing's going to happen. You know, nothing's going to happen in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of making things work if you don't have a good head coach that knows what he's doing. Now, what is that? Is that a guy's going to go call ball plays and dice up the opponent? You know, is that a 
guy's going to be a CEO and hire good people around him and have a vision and a culture. Is it going to be all of the above, you know, an all of the above kind of deal? One thing you do know, though, is regardless of, of what style of a head coach you get, you're going to have to have good assistance. And, and I'm going to give you some examples here. Okay. Steve Spurrier. We all know that we can trace the decline of South Carolina football under Steve Spurrier to all the assistants that were really good in the late 2000s and early 2010s, not all of them, but a majority of them leaving and being replaced by guys that didn't like to recruit. They were okay on the field coaches. And then he made a bad coordinator hire when he promoted Lorenzo Ward and did not give him any help. He let Lorenzo Ward go hire his own staff. Um, you know, you look back and, and there's nothing wrong with being a first time coordinator. You know, you, you look at what, uh, Brian McClendon had at his disposal the first year uh, with uh, Dan Werner, Bobby Bentley, and Eric Wolford uh, all to kind of help him, guys that have been in the seat before. And, hey, you know, Brian McClendon was a whole lot better offensive coordinator that year than the next when, you know, it's pretty much common knowledge as things went on in the season. He just shut everybody out and decided, hey, hey, it's it's, it's on him. His name's on it, so he's going to do it. Um, you go back to Charlie Strong when he was the D coordinator at Carolina under Holtz. Man, you know, John Gutkunst, uh was a former head coach. Uh, Chris Koch was a former coordinator. Dave Roberts was on the defensive side of the ball, former head coach. Uh, you know, you, you had guys that um, or had sat in the chair before to sit there and help him. So, you know, uh, like with, with Lorenzo Ward, the worst thing that happened to Lorenzo Ward was Brad Lawing left because Lorenzo Ward knew how to call a secondary, but the defensive line coach was calling the front. And so then he brought in Deke Adams and that, that did not work. That did not work. So, um, and then there are numerous other examples of guys that just didn't have the sizzle on the recruiting trail. Um, that, that just couldn't do, I mean, you, you had two or three guys that could even recruit on that staff. Um, and so it eroded away. And, and, you know, Steve Spurrier also would probably tell you that one of the big differences at Florida between, you know, the 95 team and the 96 team was Bob Stoops being the, the D coordinator. Um, Stoops kind of helped that side of the ball along in Gainesville. And, and so, you know, Steve Spurrier is a Hall of Famer, takes a backseat to nobody. The style of coach he is, is he's got some – very good basic parameters as far as being a head coach. Uh, and then he runs the offense. And, 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 you know, that, you know, as good as he is, and, and as much as, you know, at times, at, especially early in Florida where, you know, if you look at that staff, it probably wasn't that good. And, you know, all that good stuff in terms of recruiting or whatever, you know, Carolina is in a different spot, you know, as far as, you know, it's not in the state of Florida and all that. So you needed those guys and you can trace, you know, uh, him being a, a seven or eight win, six, seven, eight win ball coach to a nine, 10, 11 win ball coach uh, by those good assistants coming in and the decline when they left. So even for Steve Spurrier, coaching staff's very important. Gene Chiswick, they hired Gene Chiswick at Auburn. He's a five and 19 record. He leads Auburn to the national championship his second year. Thanks to Cam Newton and Gus Malzahn. Uh, Malzahn stays the next year. They still win eight. Uh, and then after 2011, Malzahn leaves and probably the worst move ever 
Chiswick hires Scott Loeffler to be his OC and, and a kind of, you know, I guess on the decline, Brian Van Gorder to be the DC. And the result was 0 and 8 in the SEC in 2012. Uh, you know, 0 and 8, that Auburn team was terrible. 3 and 9, 0 and 8. He gets fired. Um, and then they hire Malzahn back. And this just goes to show you, those of you out there that, you know, and look, I'm not dumb. There are some roster spots that need to be shored up, but, you know, this is going to show you, you can't just look and say, oh, the team's two and six, therefore there's no talent. Uh, Because I I still think there's some guys that are going to play a lot better under the new coach, or uh, collectively, if that makes sense. Uh, Next year, Malzahn comes in, uh, brings in Ellis Johnson, and they're playing for the national championship the next year. Went from 0-8 in the league to playing for the national title. What a journey. But assistant coaches matter. Malzahn also hired a very good staff when he got to the Plains, including Ellis. Dabo Sweeney, it goes without saying, we, we've talked about him over and over. Clemson's the only program in college football the last 10 years that's gone from ACC hopeful to national title winner. He hired, the hiring of Chad Morris laid that foundation. Um, the hiring of Brent Venables got that side of the ball up to snuff. And I'm going to tell you this. Uh, it, it's 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 a different approach because because when you're Dabo, the the whole idea is okay. We're winning ACCs, you know. How do we pass Florida State and then go even further? And then in 2015, beyond that, how do we pass Alabama? And it's by not being Alabama. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> they're not Alabama. I mean, they don't do anything like Alabama. They, you know, it's it's the Clemson plan. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that, his ability to build his staff, retain his staff, make the staff Clemson's, you know, I think it's huge. And, and I think, you know, where a lot of people, when they talk about like Shane Beamer, they want to say, well, it's Dabo. Well, no, there's nobody like Dabo and there's nobody like Shane Beamer. I mean, they're, they're unique people and they're going to do things differently. But when you're talking about like the, 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 the skin of it, you know, Hey, Dabo hires a Clemson staff. Shane Beamer needs to hire a South Carolina staff. Uh, I think that's a better way to do it in the SEC is to be different and be your not really different. Be yourself. Be who you are, uh, rather than trying to to replicate Alabama, uh, which I think is what some people try to get into. Urban Meyer won his second national championship in three years at Florida. Uh, Dan Mullen and Charlie Strong leave. And by the, uh, that was in 2008. In 2010, Urban was gone. <laughs> and that 2010 team, by the way, got beat by 22 by the Gamecocks at home. Gone. Uh, and he cited that comfort levels with his new guys that he hired. So even for the great Urban Meyer, who hired much better, I think, overall at Ohio State than he did at Florida, especially at the end. I think at the beginning, he hired great at Florida. Then these guys get head coaching jobs and go elsewhere, and he replaced them with some guys who were just kind of so-so. Um, and Ohio State was a different story. But uh, even Urban Meyer needs great assistance around him. You know the Ed Orgeron story. Joe Brady and Dave Aranda made him look really good, and you know he gets the credit for hiring him. That was one of the best teams in college football. Now Brady's gone, Aranda's gone, and the defense is tanked at LSU, you know, so that's very important as well. Uh, and then you'll flip it back around to Nick Saban. Nick Saban realizes he needs great assistance. Now, he does it different than Dabo. 
they have more turnover at Alabama than just about any 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 place year to year because guys are getting head coaching jobs. Guys are head coaches. They come in for what they call the rehab program. Then they go back out and get other head coaching jobs. But but what he does is he cares about it and he understands. Look, I can't have these guys leave and replace them with like slappies who who, who can't coach you know, or goats or whatever you know Billy. Not not goats. The goat goat kind of means greatest of all time now. But you know, guys that just aren't very good. You know, and so even though they have a ton of turnover, unlike Clemson, they still are at that level because Saban does a good job with the turnover managing it. Gary Patterson example is one I've used uh, a lot. They were four and eight in 2013, second year in the Big Twelve, uh, and he goes and hires Doug Meacham and Sonny Cumbie, and they go 23 and three over the next two seasons, including the 2014 team, which probably should have been in the playoff. Uh, so Gary Patterson, uh, staff change there, made all the difference in the world. Sam Pittman's an example I've used. You know, beyond, you know, because some people will come back, they're three and five, it's not that good. Yeah, but they're two terrible calls by referees away for being five and three. That's number one. You know, number two, you know, maybe it's not sustained, whatever, but – that doesn't matter, you know, and I've, I've seen this with Sam Pittman. We'll see if he sustains it. Who cares? That Arkansas got beat by 26 points at home to Western Kentucky last year. Uh, and Western Kentucky just so happened to have a quarterback that Chad Morris had run off. And when you get beat like that in your own stadium by a, a Sunbelt team with a quarterback that you've run off, you need to lose your job. And things were awful. You know, and that roster still isn't all that great. But Kendall Browse has come in. And, look, you throw the wins and losses out of it. The fact that Kendall Browse, their offensive coordinator, has gotten the most out of Felipe Franks and that offense is is coaching. And then the fact that the defense is the one of the only defenses to stop or slow Ole Miss six interceptions. Uh, they intercepted Matt Corral six times in that game. You know, that can't be understated. And you look, I mean, they've got some good receivers and backs, and Franks is, Frank's is doing well. Arkansas is not that talented on defense at all. You know, that that side of the ball. I mean, you look what so look what Barry Odom's doing, you know, against teams that don't totally overwhelm them. I mean, Florida scored 63 on the Hogs because Florida overwhelmed them. Florida's got one of the best offenses in football. Uh, so, so even beyond the wins and losses, Sam Pittman's got some very good coaches working for him, and that's working. Mac Brown at North Carolina, you know, if you think about Mac Brown's later years at Texas, you know, flipping offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, doing whatever, trying to spice, you know, didn't make, didn't make really good hires, uh, you know, but he goes to North Carolina and hires Ricky Longo and Longo is a guy. Uh, I have questions about his system in the SEC because at Ole Miss, they go up and down the field against teams with, you know, just sort of so-so defenses or they go, you know, um, up and down the field against teams with bad defenses, but they play a good defense and they get stopped. But in the ACC Coastal, you know, get, give me Longo. Uh, and then, of course, Jay Bateman is one of the best in the country on the defensive side of the ball. And, and Mac Brown, you know, I, I think that's been impressive. You know, and you want to know why he's recruiting well? Because he's got a good staff. Got a good staff. So, you know, everybody from Steve Spurrier to Urban Meyer to Mac Brown needs a good coaching staff. And so it's not going to be – it's going to be that way at Carolina too. 
uh, Shane Beamer, uh, Billy Napier, Hugh Freeze, Neil Brown, whoever, they're going to need a good coaching staff. And I got some other things, you know, mentioned in the article, must champs hires on offense. Mike Bobo is the exception. Uh, Lane Kiffin hiring Kendall Browse at Florida Atlantic and then blending his concepts with existing Lane Kiffin concepts uh, is still paying off for Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. I'll take you back to Tommy Bowden at Clemson when he hired Rob Spence. That was the downfall. You know, uh, Tommy Tuberville hiring Tony Franklin to run spread at Auburn, another downfall hire. And I'll go back to Brad Scott. This is probably the worst hire ever. Um, you know, Scott, they're five and six in 97. He's going into his final year. You know, obviously Carolina's defense needed new blood because that was just – that was the bugaboo. But instead of replacing Wally Burnham, he decides to go hire Chuck Reedy to slow down the offense, okay, with Anthony Wright and some of these guys, you know. <laughs> slow it down, folks. Uh, and, and that was just awful. Then he went one and ten and got fired. So, and then blamed everybody else on the way back to the, out the door. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's uh, that's the deal with that, you know. That uh, and be sure to check out that article on thebigspur.com. We'll certainly uh, enjoy you coming and reading. Uh, again, the mailbag. No mailbag questions today. Email inside the gamecocks at gmail.com. Or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Certainly would be glad to, you know, rock that up. Uh, well, here's one question. I'll say this, you know, and it comes from Freehawk, who I know is a, a great listener. He goes, uh, how did National Recruiters of the Year come to South Carolina and not recruit a lick? He's talking about Lance Thompson and Brian McClendon. I, you know, I think it's for different reasons. You know, McClendon got out there, and and I, I just think, you know, he he made some bad evaluations, and he signed some guys at receiver that were just hurt all the time, um, and he turned some good players down, um, especially within the state. Uh, obviously, at Georgia, the majority of his career and his recruiting were was at running backs coach. Um, that's how he got national recruiter of the year or whatever. Um, and George is really good at recruiting running backs as a program. You know, it's, it's kind of running back you. Uh, Lance Thompson, you know, it wasn't for lack of effort. You know, it, it just – he just was unfortunately in some battles that he lost. Uh, and he was stuck in a territory too, uh, eastern South Carolina, eastern North Carolina, that just really didn't have a lot of guys. Um, and then – you know, a couple of years in, they started kind of reworking the his territory and and all that. So, to me, Lance was a different situation than BMAC. But yeah, I mean, and that's why, folks, you know, the new South Carolina coach needs to hire a good staff that works for South Carolina, not necessarily a staff with a lot of names uh, that have been elsewhere. And that that's all that ties in. And all of it ties in, right, with the do more with less. That's in recruiting, too, doing more with less uh, because you've got less to sell. Um, you know, a lot of people think do more with less is go sign a bunch of three stars and, you know, somehow turn that into a chance. No, you got to go sell less than some of these other schools do, um, you know, to win the battles because you don't have that script A or the, or the oval G or the tiger paw. 
on, on your, your sweater right now. You got the Gamecock, the Block C. And unfortunately, there haven't been a lot of wins associated with that lately. So got to kind of figure that out. All right. So that's going to do it. And I'm sorry this is a shorter episode, but I was counting on the mailbag. And uh, Freehawk did send a question to my personal Twitter account. So I figured I'd just go ahead and answer it here. But uh, all right. So we'll have we'll have the uh, you know the podcast <laughs> Monday. If there's a new head coach before then, we'll have it before then, but I don't think there will be. And the search will move on. Please continue those five star reviews uh, and and all that. Don't know that we're gonna get to the, the thousand that I wanted, uh, but that's okay. It's been a rough year, and, and we'll see. We got lots to, to cover coming up. I mean, it's not just the head coach. The head coach gets hired, then there's ten staff members, then there's off the field staff members, and then there's recruiting. And you know who knows what's going to happen there. Both in terms of you know, Carolina's been having a lot of decommits. I've barely covered those just because it's expected. Um, you know, I, I don't anticipate that none of the guys on the commit list right now will end up. But but they, you know, it could be several. It could be. I mean, you know, you just got to watch it. I mean, that's something. And then you have the second signing period, which this year for South Carolina, they're going to be much more active in the second signing period than the first. Uh, and you're still dealing with a pandemic and a dead period as well. Uh, and then the transfer portal. So, I mean, I don't think the roster is going to be super finalized probably until May. And there may even be some activity into the summer. So you got all that too. So there's a lot going on with regards to the football program uh, beyond who the next head coach is going to be, but stay tuned for all of that. All right. Said my piece. And uh, going to go uh, continue to work through this weekend. And, you know, hopefully when the head coach is hired, I can sit back and I'll let you guys know, take a couple of days off and have my Thanksgiving <laughs> like I want it. Uh, anyway, people, hope you have a good weekend. I uh, hope you and your family are doing well. This is J.C. Sherbert inside the Gamecocks podcast signing off.